Welcome to episode 30 of Books to Last. This episode, I'm joined by Cheyenne as they share their fantastic list of books they would take with them when cast away to a mystery remote location. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Books to Last Podcast. Hi, Cheyenne. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself to the listener. Hello, I'm Cheyenne, and I run a bookstagram, and that's kind of how we got in touch for this podcast was through Instagram, and I have been a reader my entire life, Uh, always been a big book nerd, and took a bit of a hiatus in college um, because college is stressful and there's no time for anything for pleasure. So I was able to pick reading up again after I graduated. And as you can see behind me, I have lots and lots of books now. So I got my book fix. I completely relate to that. I was the same. I sort of read a lot as a small child and then there was a big drop off when sort of went to higher education and then I eventually came back into it. I feel like it's, if you manage to read all the way through higher education, I mean, I applaud you. It's, it's, it's difficult. (laughs) I don't know who has the emotional fortitude (laughs) to be able to read for pleasure and do all of your work. (laughs) Yeah, it's just who has that many hours in the day? I I definitely, I'm starting to get into, because I'm studying part-time, I'm starting to get into the end bit of my qualification when I'm going to have to do quite a bit of reading and research for the actual qualification. I'm like, oh, if I read that many research papers, I don't don't know if I'm going to be able to pick up a book afterwards, but we're hoping. (laughs) Uh, Well, um, I mean, are you reading anything in particular? You read a lot now. What do you current read? So currently I'm reading The Fae Keeper, which is the second book in the Witch King duology by H.E. Edgman. And it is just as amazing and angsty as the first book. Just so much teen queer angst. I'm here for it. Sounds excellent. I um, It's not a series I've heard of before, but uh, yeah, it definitely sounds like a lot of fun. And I mean... Um, you mentioned Fae Keeper. I mean, is that, it's fantasy. Yeah. So um, I read a lot of YA. That's most of what I read. And that's probably mostly what's on my list is YA. We like, we're a YA fantasy friendly podcast. I am a big fan of YA fantasy as well. That's pretty much what brought me back into reading also, because it's just, um, I love fan. I've always loved fantasy, but it's just accessible in a way that, um, some of the slightly uh more classic or thingy fantasy maybe isn't I think I just yeah it's kind of difficult to go in cold from reading nothing to reading Game of Thrones yeah I like how not as complicated I guess it is or it's easier to digest than yeah than Game of Thrones Game of Thrones is a lot yeah, I uh, there's I think there's there's a time for a different thingy, but most of the time I'm like, oh yeah, no, I really and also the YA genre just generally across you know regular fiction and fantasy and all that sort of thing is doing really great things. I think it's it's just yeah. it's just in a good place. I feel like YA has had a renaissance in the last 
five years or so where I feel like the quality of the writing in YA books is way, way better than it used to be because I have gone back and read books that came out when I was in high school and I was like, ooh, why? <laughs> this is not a good book. <laughs> Yeah, we've definitely come a long, long way from the sort of dystopian trilogies that I used to devour when I was young, like, like yeah, one after another. Games, Twilight, period of time. <gasps> yes, we, we have come a long way since Twilight, definitely, <laughs> which is... Um, no shades of Twilight. No shades of Twilight. Twilight has been mul- chosen multiple times on this podcast by different people for... And they all tend to admit it's for nostalgic purposes, but I did read Twilight when it came out. I um, do advocate for the books over the films. Um, (laughs) If someone's going to dip into that world. Um, But it's uh, like a lot of uh, series from around the time. It's got its issues. And as long as you can um, talk about that with an open mind and an open heart, then it's all good. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so currently reading The Fae Keeper, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some other books that you really, really enjoy as well. Uh, because for listeners who don't know, maybe this is their first episode, Books to Last podcast is the podcast that challenges, uh, book lovers and readers to pick the five books, their five, not necessarily favorites, but well, I would say favorites, the five favorite books that they couldn't live without and that they'd read over and over, especially if they were cast away to a mystery remote location and they were only allowed to take five books with them. Um, as part of this, our guest gets to pick their mystery remote location. So, Cheyenne, where would you like to be cast away to? I think I want to be cast away on some kind of faraway alien planet. Oh, yeah, this is okay. So we've only ever had one space answer before. And I actually think it's such a cool answer that I'm so glad that we have a space related answer now because it just sounds, I mean, what could be more serene than looking at like the solar system whilst reading? I know, space is just so pretty. (laughs) Plus, I'm I'm a huge Star Trek fan. So I have to get the space in there and the sci-fi in there. So... Oh, so I mean, you say a a planet, but I mean, are you going to have or... Oh, you think he may be more ship? Have you got like a Star Trek ship that you would pick if you were going to have that ship all to yourself in space to read? Oh my gosh. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, probably if it's going to be a ship, it, I have to go with the USS Enterprise. The Just the first one. No bloody The OG. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Channeling my inner Scotty. For those of you. If you know, you know. <laughs> Well, I mean, it sounds like a great place to go and a great place to start. So what's the first book you will be taking with you uh, to space? Okay, so the first book on my list in no particular order is Ray Bearer by Jordan Ifueko. And I have no idea if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. So please, somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Pronunciations aren't my strong suit. (laughs) Same. You're speaking to someone who uh, read Percy Jackson as a young child and came up with... um, interesting pronunciations for all of the Greek words that she'd never heard before um, to the point where my best friend still finds it absolutely hilarious to make fun of me for some of them. She just thinks they are the funniest thing ever and she, she brings them up many times. So uh, Ray Bear is a book that I've heard about but not a book that I'm familiar with. Would you mind giving a sort of what's yeah. it about? So Ray Bear is a duology and it's uh, African inspired fantasy so it's a secondary fantasy world and, and called Aritzar is the world that we're in. And it's about this girl named Tarasai who 
has these abilities where if she touches a person, she can steal their memories or share a memory with them. And so growing up, she's uh, kind of grown up in a neglected kind of place. Her mom is kind of very emotionally abusive and controlling, and she doesn't get touched at all. No one wants to touch her because they're afraid she's going to steal their memories. And then she gets commanded by her mom through magic to go to the capital of Ritzar to try to become one of the Council of Eleven for the new prince. And the prince is eventually going to become the king and be the ray bearer, which is the person who holds this uh, kind of magical amulet that connects them with the 11 other council members where they're physically connected in that way. So it's very much like a found family type of situation, except Tara's eyes problem is that her mom wants her to kill the prince. <laughs> so that kind of puts a bug in thing. <laughs> and so I just, I really love this world. I love found family tropes. They're probably my favorite trope. And there's a lot of that in here. We get a lot of like grumpy sunshine things here. Oh, as my, well. oh I my love. It. It's so it, good. I'm, I'm a sucker for grumpy sunshine. It's like you're selling this book specifically to me. I, I actually, I really enjoy the found family trope as well. I think because, I mean, I don't know if it's a common thing, but I mean, I'm not particularly close to a lot of my sort of blood relatives, but I have got a really strong support network around me of um, my own family, but also family that you've thank you. So I just feel like I always just, I love it. I just think you get such interesting dynamics in it. And yeah, Grumpy Sunshine, I, I do love. Um, <laughs> I want to say that that probably is like representative of my own relationship, but I feel like we're more like grumpy, grumpy as a <laughs> Yeah, I feel that I'm definitely the grumpy side of grumpy sunshine. Uh, so that makes sense for me. But yeah, this book has a great cast of characters. I love a good group of very dynamic characters and they're all very different. And I just love it. And the magic in this place is so fascinating. Like each person has their own abilities that are so unique and original they're ones that i haven't necessarily seen before in other fantasy and the other thing about going back to talking about found family as a queer person i think that's like one of the reasons why i love that is because yeah. queer people often do have to have found family because their families don't often accept them for who they are and so finding that found family and then reading books about that is definitely what i look for in books and of course the world building in this is amazing and i just also i may have a tiny bit of a crush on jordan if you echo because <laughs> she's just so adorable and i and i just think she's amazing I, I mean it definitely sounds like it just has like the whole package i mean just digging a little bit into because i'm really curious about um the powers of the main character um so is it automatic does she if she touches someone does does it automatically do her power or can, or is her controlling it kind of an arc of the story or? I think it's a little bit of both. When she first gets to the capital, it's like as soon as she touches somebody, something's happening. And so people are finding that they're losing memories or they're getting flashes of her trauma. Oh, yeah. That's not what you want. <laughs> no. So, I mean, this this book is just so wonderful and it's interesting because it is a duology. And so the first book is very much like, here's this world. Here are these amazing characters. I hope you fall in love with them, with this amazing world. And then the second book is like, 
just a lot of drama and sadness and anxiety and that's a lot it's so often the case isn't it with series because I feel like the first book is so much about drawing you in and making you love the characters and showing you this world and call it like bringing physical like sort of bringing an attachment between you and it and then obviously the longer you stay in it I always find that it's like that in I mean in everything I mean even in like musicals uh, and that sort of thing it's just like the first act is always more fun and light and sunny and then it just gets gradually darker and then you end up getting the resolution but especially in duologies my experience is you adore the first one and then the second one crushes your soul in some way because that was a pretty good summary (laughs) just just because that was my experience like six of crows i think was probably the first duology that i read and i just like the second one i was like no why why have you got to do this yeah exactly and that's how this one is too so it's But I just, I love it because this book is really about, you know, finding your people and finding yourself within those people and being more confident and being able to open up to other people. And I love that. I think so many people, especially young queer people, need to see that kind of stuff. And the amount of diversity in this book is amazing. Like there's the whole cast of characters, they're all different ethnicities and skin tones and we even find out that like one of them is asexual or on the ace spectrum and like there and it's just it's so wonderful to see that happening a lot more in YA fantasy yeah that was going to be my next question because obviously a lot of the themes we've discussed in the book um are really important to like the queer community I think it does it have like good a lot of queer representation in it or yeah, it does. It, it, there, There's definitely lots of queer representation. It, it gets more uh, obvious in the second book, but it's yeah. definitely there. There's some definite queer vibes, and I'm here for it. Yeah, I really enjoy I especially enjoy that, like, YA, as well as um, it having a lot of representation ac- across all sort of all different groups as well. It also is less and less becoming the centerpiece of the story in a way that, I mean, when it's first started to sort of when representation started being slightly more widespread in sort of books and that sort of thing it it kind of felt like that was almost a big focal point as opposed to just having diverse characters who are just diverse characters and that's not the point almost it's like completely not normalized normalized isn't the word I want but it's just it's there because that's what life is like life is full of diverse people as well and it's like I mean that's and I love that I love seeing queer people in a story but it not being about them being queer yeah exactly because we've got plenty of those stories so you know it's just put put a bunch of queer people in a fantasy world and let them go do weird stuff yeah exactly it's just just let it just just let let it be and <laughs> just let it exist yeah. um well ray bear that's really sounds like a really strong sort of start it's uh fantasy is fantasy a i mean you mentioned ya might be a sort of theme but is fantasy definitely a big theme in the list as well because i mean i'm a big yeah. fantasy fan so that's all yeah, that's all good with me is, yeah fantasy and sci-fi are definitely the two genres i read the most and fantasy far more than anything else that just tends to be what I'm drawn to it's my comfort genre I guess amazing I'm the same yeah it's like pure escapism for me it's like I don't want it to be like my world I want it to be different (laughs) um 
so yeah, that sounds like a really great one. And we love sci-fi love on the podcast because um, sci-fi, yeah, this is discussed in sort of a recent episode that's coming out just before this one, but like sci-fi doesn't get the love it deserves for how dynamic and interesting a genre it is. So we do enjoy that. So and that's yeah. perfect segue for my next book. Amazing. <laughs> which was Kindred by Octavia Butler. Uh, first of all, Octavia E. Butler is my favorite author. Love her. Um, I've read everything that she's put out. And I wish she were still alive because I can't imagine the kind of stuff that she'd be putting out now. I mean, everything that she has written is so prescient and like eerie almost. <laughs> but anyway, I chose Kindred because it's a it's a sci-fi book, but it's not heavy sci-fi and it's not like spacey sci-fi. It's like it's a uh, this uh, actually it was the first sci-fi novel written by a black woman uh so oh, that's, wow. that's a huge thing is yeah you know, black women in sci-fi octavia e butler is the woman that started that like she is the one that broke into that and inspired many many other black women authors to write sci-fi so i just wanted to throw that out there <laughs> it's definitely worth throwing out there that's a really interesting fact i didn't know that yeah and so this book is sort of part sci-fi, part uh, historical fiction, too. So we get the main character, Dana. She's a Black woman in 1973 in California, and she is one day inexplicably pulled back in time to the antebellum period in Maryland. And so imagine being a Black woman in the 70s, and then all of a sudden you're during slave times, and you have to learn how to deal with that. And she finds out that the reason she keeps getting pulled back there after coming forward to her present time for a little while is because every time she's pulled back, it's in order to save this white man from dying. And she has to, and she finds out she has to continue doing this or she won't exist in the future. So let those things add up for a second. <laughs> right. Okay. So this book is a huge examination of that, of the antebellum period and what it's like for black women and what it was like then for black women, not just in the seventies, but, you know, during slavery and what, and what those implications mean, you know, it implies that rape happened for her to exist. This white man has to live. And the only reason that that would happen is if there was a rape involved. And so that, that is kind of part of it. And this book is gut wrenching. It is, it is a lot, but it is so beautifully written and, Butler has such a way with words and such a way with just helping you understand what what is going on and what that feels like for this main character and it's just it's such a powerful book and I feel like everyone should read it because it really is a, a great examination of like modern times versus slavery and what that was like yeah it sounds and also it's so fascinating that it is science fiction as well because um so often science fiction is is like associated with space pretty much space and aliens and that sort of thing but it's not and time travel is absolutely a huge part of uh, science fiction and it's a really interesting way of using that to examine history historical um context and as you say sort of comparing the times because i mean 
America in the 70s wasn't exactly the most accepting or friendly place either. But I mean, in comparison, it's just it, it it's a very interesting sort of cross section i think is maybe the it word is. i'm looking for to to take and yeah that sounds and i mean the author just sounds so fascinating as well because now i'm i'm also in the same vein as you it's like oh what what might have come afterwards because it's uh often the way i feel about sort of authors like douglas adams who um actually um authors who were incredibly talented but never actually wrote very much or at least never published very much so you only get a very small I suppose, segment of what they might have produced. And then it's almost like, you know, the limitless list of potential and all that sort of thing. And then it always seems to be those brilliant minds that tend to leave us far, far too soon. Yeah, because I just, I, one of the books that I didn't choose for this list, also by Octavia Butler, is Parable of the Sower. And that book is, she wrote, when did she write that? In the 90s, maybe, I think. And when she wrote that, she basically predicted the Make America Great Again slogan and Trump-esque president. And like, it's eerie, like how yeah. predicted and how correct she was on a lot of stuff. And anyway, just a quick aside about that. Yeah, I mean, I th- as a whole sort of, I find that always fascinating, especially, I mean, sci-fi it happens in a lot as well, because it almost sci-fi kind of gives authors the permission to sort of just really think about how things might be completely different to the way they are but the ironic thing is with sci-fi is often it's never actually that far from yeah well you know the realm about sci-fi is that it's not talking about the future even if it's set in the far future it's really a commentary on what's happening today and that's that's really the point of sci-fi is to be able to tell these stories in a more palatable way or in a more safe way you know that's what star trek does it does yeah it talks about human issues using an alien to give us a different perspective and have us see you know what it would be like from for somebody else to be going through that yeah and it's exactly the same with like uh i suppose classic sci-fi like frankenstein which i would classify as more of um sci-fi than horror and i mean dracula even though it is horror they were both books that were they tell you about the time they were written in and I recently um read it was War of the Worlds and I mean when that was produced as well I think I think and oh my god I mean I'm gonna get like (laughs) if I'm wrong about this I have thinking but I'm fairly certain it was written before um like the world war and everything and it's one of those things that it's like in a way even though yeah sci-fi very much talks about like themes of the past also themes of the present but um in I suppose this is very depressing, um, but um, ultimately history repeats itself. We're in a it's it's cyclical. Things and um, do come back around again. So like predicting Trump's presidency and that sort of thing. I mean, I'm going to use this word very loosely because I don't think it applies to him. But charismatic leaders that have poor intentions for the country that they lead um, is yeah. something that is sort of seen before. And then um, yeah, but it's just it's always just. You can get so much knowledge. You can just mine so much knowledge from uh, sci-fi from seeing how um, things were when it was written and that sort of thing. Yeah. You can really get a lot into it. It's also wonderful because it's an extrapolation on what is already happening. So, it, you know, that's what speculative fiction and sci-fi mm-hmm. is. It's talking about here's the climate change issue now. Here's what it could look in, like in 100 years. Yeah, climate change, books that sort of... Um, 
talk about climate disasters seem to be a lot more prolific and and I some of them are so fascinating but I struggle to because it's it it's just so it's so present at the moment it's 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 impossible to I don't know how you can deny climate change in this day and age because it's here it's happening (laughs) and yeah so it's yeah it's all very heavy stuff but like you say in a slightly more palatable if you want to switch that part of your brain off and just read the book for what it is it can happen but it is difficult to do that I think sometimes as well but fascinating sci-fi pick for second book from you know an icon and a trailblazer so I mean you're setting the bar pretty high with your first two books yeah um what's the third one one? fun yes (laughs) <laughs> so, next one is The Princess Bride by William Goldman. I Sorry. love, of course, everybody knows the movie, but I love the book. I particularly love the book because it's just as hilarious as the movie is. And you get so much more. So much more. Yes, you have a copy. I have a giant copy. I have a giant edition that's beautiful. Um, it doesn't even fit on my bookshelf. That's how big it is. Uh, oh my gosh, you need to send me a picture of that edition after we finish recording because I, I am going to try and find a copy because, yes, I read that for the first time this year, but tell me why you love it. <laughs> so I love it because it's it's just so funny. It's so light. It's so funny. <laughs> so, but it's so familiar. So it's like a warm hug every time you read it. And in the book, you get a lot more perspective from Inigo and Fezzik. So mm. you get way more character development for everyone other than just Buttercup and Wesley. And we also, you also get a whole lot more of the pit of despair. Like there's a whole other thing happening with Inigo and Fezzik where they have to go through all these different obstacles and defeat these creatures and booby traps and all these different things. And it's just, it's just so much richer than the movie, even though the, the movie I could watch that a million times and never be sick of it. That's how I feel about the book too definitely it's it is it's so much fun it's just it's just fun I just there's there's no better word to sort of describe it and it's so it's so cleverly written as well because obviously William Goldman uses like a false narrator type it's so it's so honestly he was so convincing with how he writes it as if he's as if he's actually um abridging a longer real novel he was so convincing that I was like oh my god I almost want to read the original and then I did research and I was like but it's not real he this this is the book and he's but he's so convincing he 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 sells you on it you you really think that this is an abridged version of a really old book and I'm like how have I never heard of the original version of this if it's so good and I loved that when I the first time I read it like he has those little asides Oh, they're so book. funny <laughs> and they're hilarious I never thought that like editorial comments from the author were going to be as funny as that and it didn't take me out as much as I thought it would and it you just if you didn't yeah. know that, that that it's not real <laughs> you know it's yeah. so impressive absolutely everything he adds in a, as an aside in brackets is just oh it's just so funny and just the characters are funny and it's just told in such a straightforward way and it's not overly flowery in a way that a lot of books that do sort of rewrite in this sort of thing it's just good it's good storytelling and I almost I like that it's so short because I do think that like 
a sign of good writing is being able to sort of say it with not as many words. Don't get me wrong, I love flowery prose as much as the next person, you know, when I'm in the mood for it. (laughs) I hate it, be as succinct as possible. Yeah, when I'm in the mood for it, I can really go for, I mean, like, I... God, I'm probably going to get some uh, flat for this, but Shakespeare, for instance, I feel like he could say a lot of what he says with a lot less words. But um, if I'm in the mood for it, I can definitely, you know, read 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 some Shakespeare. But um, Dickens, no, I I've read no, I've I've read A Tale of Two Cities, and it's the only book that I've ever been interested in the plot, but I've fallen asleep whilst reading it um, <laughs> because it's so much hard work. But Goldman doesn't have that issue with um, The Princess Bride because it's just. Yeah, it's just fun. And I love I love that kind of story, the sort of swashbuckling, high adventure, you know, we're gonna go and it's so straightforward in the sort of fairy tale esque of we need there's a princess, they need to be saved. Yes. We're gonna do it with horses, there's this bad guy, you know they're the bad guy because we said they're the bad guy. It's, it's like the of it. It's the simplicity and the predictability, I think, that makes it so comfortable. And also, I love in the book that Buttercup's not as useless as she is in the movie. No, she's so funny in the in the book. I really like. I remember reading it, just like, yeah, she she knows what she, she knows what's up. She knows but what's I up. I think the eighties happened, so you had to downplay a lot of that. Yeah, definitely. I um, I remember reading because I think I read it in Kindle. I bought this paperback copy afterwards because I didn't have a copy, and I was like, I saw. And once I'd finished it, I was like, I have to own my own copy of this. But when I was reading it, I was sort of putting little notes in it, and even though it is so simple because it's so simple it almost keeps you guessing because you think it can't be that simple so i mean i was reading it and when you know <laughs> when the man in the black mask spoiler alert does actually get rethinking i'm all the way into his introduction i'm just like this has got to be wesley right and then it doesn't happen and then there's some things that make you think it might not be and i'm like it's not or is it <laughs> Maybe it is. Is it? And then obviously it gets a, a rain. I was like, I knew it. <laughs> and yeah, it's just, it. Oh, it's so fun. It's definitely something I think everyone should read. Funnily enough, I ended up reading it because I was looking at my Goodreads to TBR list and it was the oldest book on my TBR. It had been on there since 2015. And I was like, okay, I think it's time. Seven years later, I think it's time I read this book that I said I wanted to read seven years ago. <laughs> it's been a while since I've read it, actually. I read it in high school, so it's been a while. Uh, so I do need to find time to reread it because it's definitely worth it. Yeah, I think it needs a really good audiobook because um, Audible at the moment does not have an audiobook for it and they are missing a trick. They need to get well, someone. Well, get on it, Audible. Come on. Yeah, I mean, it's such a good book. With the right narrator, that could be... Mandy Patinkin all the way. Yeah, just yeah. I oh, what does she uh, narrate? Mandy Patinkin is the actor that played uh, Inigo Montoya. Oh my gosh! Yes. No. Okay. So I've not watched the film, but um, I mean, you gotta you gotta. I know, know. I know. I know. I've got to. Okay. Yeah. But if there anything like you know in the book that he was my favorite character definitely. I um have got a jacket that I put patches on, and I found one on Etsy that says um you know the hello my name is stickers <laughs> i've got the magnet <laughs> amazing well you know the stickers the sort of red ones that say hello my name is sort of for when you go to a vet it's it's that but underneath it says and i go Montoya, and <laughs> you killed my father prepare to die in, in the little written bit and it's like embroidered i'm like i absolutely need that patch for my jacket so <laughs> that would be fantastic <laughs> Oh, yes, The Princess Bride. So fun. And definitely one I can second your recommendation to go ahead and read that one. Um, 
Is there anything else you want to add to Princess Bride before we? No, you, but you just, you got to watch the movie. <laughs> I will. I, I absolutely, okay. I am going to have to have a day where I dedicate to watching movies that I should have watched a long time ago. So uh, The Princess Bride is on there. My very good friend Ruby has been telling me um, since I met her that I absolutely have to watch the 2005 adaption of Pride and Prejudice. And I don't want to because I am loyal to the BBC adaption, but I suppose we can try um so yeah <laughs> i will i will probably have to couple those ones up with a few films that i've promised my brother that i will watch because we made an ill-advised deal where i gave him a bunch of really good recommendations and he gave me some not as good recommendations in exchange and he's watched my recommendations and loved them so now i need to watch his and be nice <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's uh, that's gonna be tough yes it is because in exchange for telling him to watch knives out i got told to watch the new mummy movie with tom cruise and it's not good it's bad it's very bad i didn't even know there was a new mummy movie and why is tom cruise in it is tom cruise is it tom yeah tom cruise from top gun yes tom cruise is definitely yeah him he's in it he's it's awful it's a terrible film I, i i've never thought that anybody would try and make a sexy mummy but they did and i just it's just just doesn't work. <laughs> it just yeah i i really try, he's really into his egypt at the moment so like i messaged him and said you know there were some things that i liked i liked the concept of some other things but i was like not for me not for me the i only, will um the only mummy movie that matters is the one with brendan fraser exactly <laughs> when i told my husband i was going to be watching um the new mummy movie and i went to put it on he was just like he was like brendan fraser's not in there <laughs> And uh, and he and I was like, no, it's the new one. And he's just like, we are a Brendan Fraser loyal household. <laughs> what yeah. are you doing? <laughs> um, so I had a lot of explaining to do, and he also had to watch the film with me, and he was equally unimpressed. So yeah. Anyway, slight mummy tangent off the back of the Princess Bride, which um, even I'm not quite sure how my mind managed to swing that one. <laughs> yes but um i will definitely be watching the princess bride movie um and i will i'll have to let you know when i when i watch it to to tell you what i think but yes number four then what is the fourth book that you'll be taking with you in what is such a great list so far great yeah this one is the bone witch by rin chupeco and i this is also another ya fantasy so we can see a theme here. Um, so Rin is a non-binary Filipino author. And this is a secondary fantasy world. And it's sort of like, think geishas, but with magic and are also badass warriors. Most of my favorite things. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so because of that, we also have a lot of political intrigue, which I love. Oh, and yeah, I'm a politics nerd, so yeah, you're yeah, really speaking to there's me. There's <laughs> a lot of politics in this series. It's a trilogy. And so we follow a, a girl named Taya, who turns out, who accidentally summons her dead brother back to life. And uh, so finds out. We've all done it. Um, so she finds out that she's what's called a bone witch or a dark geisha, uh, a dark asha, rather, not geisha dark asha and that means she's a necromancer so she has command over bones and dead things and stuff like that um and it's about taya becoming an asha becoming this full-fledged asha and training with the other asha and it's just so 
the writing is so decadent. It's so rich. Like, Chupeco layers descriptions in a way that, like, makes you feel like you're there. Like, you just want to suck it all in. There's just so much scenery to chew on without feeling like you're reading Herman Melville where you're, we're still talking (laughs) about something six pages later. You know, it's not that. Um, (laughs) But it's good. And the world building that Rin does is, it's it's so amazing. I mean, it's using a lot of uh, Asian type of inspiration. Mm -hmm. um, And it's just, I feel like I'm getting repetitive, but it's just so good. And the way that Rin is able to weave like two different timelines together in a seamless way is fascinating. And the magic is fascinating. It's a lot of elemental magic, which I love a good elemental magic. Um, And we also get a, get an enemies to lovers romance. And it's not even who you think it's going to be for most (laughs) of the series. Oh, I love that. They actually surprise you. It's not just like the Scooby-Doo school of thinking where it's the first person you meet. Um, no, I yeah, Definitely, you're like, oh, I don't know about this. And then you're like, yes. <laughs> anyway, so no spoil. Try not to do any spoilers right now. Okay. Um, but we get, Taya is definitely morally gray. I feel like anytime you have a necromancer as your main character, they're going to be a little morally gray. It's dark magic. You, it has, they have to sort of yeah. toe the but, line. <laughs> Bone witches aren't inherently bad, but they are reviled in this world, even though people need them. So it's this kind of like balancing act of like, we need you, so we'll keep you here, but we don't really like you that much. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a big focus on the clothing in this series. Like clothes mean a lot, like the clothing and the accessories and flowers all symbolize something very specific. And like a lot of times you don't even know what's like what the significance is until like a book later or maybe two books later. You're like, what? So that's how I felt reading this whole series. I'm just reading it. I'm going, oh my God, what? What is happening? (laughs) And just loving it. And the ending was so satisfying. Oh, okay. So Rin Chepeco is actually an author that I have followed on social media because their presence is like really great on there um and I knew they were an author but never actually got around to reading any of the books so yeah definitely I definitely recommend Bone Witch as a good starting point for Rin Chupeco um because it's it really is pure fantasy some of their earlier works were more horror so, oh, I'm a baby when it comes to horror. I probably I'll start with I'll start with the Bone Witch. Yeah, <laughs> the Bone Witch is definitely the way to go if you want to start something. And I actually just reread this book a couple of months ago because I uh, co-hosted a read along on Bookstagram with a friend uh, to help promote the book series because it's I just think it's so sorely underrated. It's so good, and I think it's I think honestly it's because Rin is an author of color, and they authors of color just tend not to get a lot of recognition but go off with your Sarah J Maas post every other day sure yeah um I completely agree there is even though um I don't know it feels like there's movement in the right direction it's still massively 
unevenly distributed in terms of coverage for different uh, for authors um from minority backgrounds because i just don't be wrong i've read sarah j mass but like i'm very much just like and i mean cassandra claire i just i could list i could list a few i've read them and it's not that i think that they're like not good but i mean authors like them are are they're kind of more likely to do fine without all of that money behind mm-hmm. them, whereas it could just be redistributed to people who are less likely to just be picked up just because. Um, and yeah, uh, but like I say, Rin, I have heard, uh, I sort of, it's one of those things I know, know of, but I've never really, I suppose, because I go so much of recommendations, I don't read the synopsis of books i don't read blurbs i when i go into the bookstore i'm very much i know you know i shouldn't but judge a book by its cover by 100 percent judge the books by the cover because i i just don't i, I like going in completely blind without like a, a without the actual synopsis that has been put together by the publisher and the author themselves mm-hmm. uh so i go so solely off recommendations from like people whose opinion i respect like yourself and other people on bookstagram that i follow and um sort of people on social media and you know friends and then if I then have been introduced to an author and I like their stuff I'm will try their other stuff and then it's like a gateway that and then yeah I suppose it has to come into that way but um and I guess I've just never read anyone uh, never met anyone who has read The Bone Witch and um recommended it to me so you fixed that now and the wonderful thing about it is that all of the books are available. They're already out, so you don't have to wait. Uh, yeah, I, I have to wait till the series finishes before I start it, because I'm gone all the days when I can wait 12 months for the next one to come out. It's just, I forget what happens. <laughs> oh, gosh, me too. But yeah, yeah, this book is just so amazing. And there's so many twists in this book. And it's just, the creatures are amazing. And we also get an excellent sibling dynamic, which you don't see a lot of. A lot of it, a lot of in fantasy right now, like a lot of people are brothers and sisters romance. don't like each other. <laughs> but I love this sibling <laughs> dynamic. Taya and her brother Fox are wonderful together. I love it. They are good siblings to each other, and I like to see that. Yeah, I love siblings who are like also best friends. Like I like even I mean like twins, but also not twins. I just think like siblings who are just very innately close and just get on instead of. I don't know, in fantasy, siblings who are fighting over a crown, so they feel the need to constantly try and kill each other, oh, yeah. and, and yeah, that. that. <laughs> yeah, and actually, Rin Chepeko has another book that features siblings, twins, uh, mm-hmm. which is The Ever-Cruel Kingdom. No. The Ever-Tilting World. The Ever-Cruel Kingdom is the second book. Yeah. Uh, so, The Never-Tilting World, and that's about these twins that are, like, long-lost sisters, and it's a it's a whole thing. Anyway, yeah. Rin Chepeko, just just read their books. Amazing. And from what you said, out actually, and it's adult novel. Yes, I know. And Goldsboro have chosen it for their um, Goldsboro Sci-Fi, um, yeah, Sci-Fi and Fantasy Fellowship, which is their monthly subscription when they send out books. Uh, Goldsboro, feel free to sponsor me. I will plug it as many times as you want. Um, I used to be part of it. I had to suspend my subscription just before my son was born because I wasn't going to be able to read the books. But I recently got back onto the waiting list because I saw that they've announced that they are doing... Silver um, Nightfall. Yeah, they're doing a gorgeous edition of uh, Rinchapeco's new book um, for, yeah, that 
that one for that month that it comes out and I'm like oh I because I recognized the name and I was like I I need to have it but you don't get it unless you're part of the membership so I've had to try and rejoin the membership we'll see if I get lucky yeah. uh but so, vampire threesome I'm here for it yes 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 yeah <laughs> um and getting I suppose uh, in a way getting picked up by uh Goldsboro for one of their monthly memberships they do not it's not been maybe the the most diverse selections of authors in the past but it feels like that's sort of changing and um i always take that as a huge vote of uh sort of it's it's a it's definitely a gold star recommendation because um they're so selective about the books that they choose for a their memberships but b just to stock in their store because you can't get every book that every new release in their store anyway so yeah, yeah. that's that's a great it's a great um extra endorsement for um Rinch Peko for that one so yeah that I mean the bone witch is sounds fascinating and it also sounds from what you've told me about sort of the creatures and the clothes and the symbolism that it is crying out for an illustrated edition like someone has (laughs) editions of the bone witch trilogy that are gorgeous gorgeous and i'm jealous that i don't have them but it's fine it's fine oh also just a little like extra little bit for about the bone witch is that there is queer people in the book so and i know that rin had mentioned in one of their posts that all the books that they're writing going forward are going to have non-binary characters as the as the main character so i love that love seeing more non-binary people out there doing things that we like we love to see it we love to see it um and that's that's really great. I it's gotten to the point now which I actually really like that when I read a book and there isn't very diverse representation in it, it stands out more to me than mm-hmm. when there's a book that has it. Like it kind of sometimes I can't necessarily if I'm kind of not paying that much attention, it doesn't I can't quite put my finger on it and then I'll get about halfway through and I'll go, ah that's what I'm noticing. Doesn't mean that like every book has to no. have- a main character of color but like if you have none anywhere for any point in time okay yeah (laughs) definitely and i think it's it's interesting that people are definitely digging more into sort of i suppose nuanced uh cross-sectional um minorities as well because just everything from sort of socioeconomic background ethnicity um sexual orientation religion just all of it i just think it's interesting that people are it's not a checkbox exercise is they're actually creating real three-dimensional characters that are real yeah. people with nuances and layers and different yes. aspects to their life. That's, that's what I've been loving about YA from the last five years is because when I first started, when I was reading in high school, mm. there weren't very many books, let alone fantasy books that had mm. black people in them or on the cover or were mm. the main characters. And now I have a whole shelf full of, you know, I could have a giant stack of books that's just black people, just black characters and black authors. And it's just, it's so beautiful. And I love seeing people who look like me be strong characters. Yeah, I completely, I, yeah, I agree. I can't think of much of it from when I was younger. I mean, I think the only book series I can remember reading when I was younger that maybe had an ounce of representation or diversity in it and it wasn't even necessarily like a lot of it was like Rick Riordan's books because and even the first series Percy Jackson he acknowledges isn't necessarily it isn't as I suppose 
versus his later series but um yeah when there's only sort of like a handful of people out there it's just it's not good but it's so good that it's changed and i mean i have a son now and i know that and he's he's getting books for the rest of his life i don't i don't care (laughs) he's he will read (laughs) and um yeah and i just feel so much better when i'm going out to sort of like buy books for him and i'm going through sort of all the different age groups that there's actually like a lot of differentiation into what i can offer him i can show him people who aren't like him as well which is just great because i mean that that's what you need that's what that's what everyone needs <laughs> so yeah oh it's all really really good and the but yeah the bone which you've 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 definitely you've you're not helping me with my with shrinking my tbr i'm gonna be honest like i've been trying to get it lower not bigger <laughs> but we... no, i'm not gonna help you with that i'm gonna make it yeah. worse <laughs> this this yeah it's i kind of yeah it's my own fault for starting the podcast it's been like this since day one because the issue is a lot of the books are books that i've heard like i may have heard of them or i know of them uh but no one's ever actually really sold me on reading them but when you have someone who it's like their favorite book and they love it and they can really talk to you passionately about how much they love it um, it's so hard to not want to read it when you've seen it through that lens. There are some books that I had absolutely zero interest in reading until someone was like, oh no, you've got to read it because of this, this, and this, and this is what it means to me. And I'm like, well, now I have to read it. Thanks. <laughs> I'd Thankfully, I'd, I'd ruled that one out, but I guess I can't anymore. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That should, be the mo- that should be what the podcast is called. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> um, so we're on your fifth and final book. Yes. Okay, so my fifth and final book is Zodiac by Ramina Russell, who it was also the author of La Bizona, except I think her name on that book was Ramina Garber. So Ramina Russell was her pen name before. And this is a quartet. So this is a, a longer series, and all of the books are already out. It's an, a little bit of an older series. Um, and this one is a sci-fi fantasy. So we got a little bit of both in here. So it's a lot of space spaceships going to different planets lots of like alien ish things (laughs) but also magic and mystical and like metaphysical it gets real metaphysical (laughs) um and so in this galaxy we're in the galaxy of helios and so this is where the zodiac live so we have the 12 Zodiac houses, like, you know, Aries and Cancer and Sagittarius, etc. Um, and so they all have like their own planets. And so wherever you're born, that's what you are. So if you're bo- born on House Sagittarius, that's what you are. Yeah. And you don't really, you don't choose which house you get to go to. That's, no. you are where you, you're born at. And each of the 12 houses have their own unique strengths. And we follow Roma Grace, who is from Cancer, House Cancer, which is like a very oceany planet. And we find out that there used to be 13 houses, not just 12. Is this this mystery zodiac sign that they tried to invent and then change everybody's birth sign, but then nobody accepted it? So No, actually, <laughs> beware of beware of Ophiuchus, right? So Ophiuchus <laughs> is actually technically the 13th zodiac so if you start looking into this stuff there's some, yeah there's some people out there that actually believe in Ophiuchus and take the zodiac stuff way too seriously but yeah it is all <laughs> it's all just made up by this author um but obviously she uses like the t- kind of 
stereotypical zodiac traits for each of the houses mm -hmm. like Sagittarius are very curious and adventurous and you can't hold them to one place for very long and that kind of thing yeah. and so it's very that kind of archetypes of people and so can house cancer gets destroyed and Roma Grace becomes the uh, leader of the house now even though she's only 16 and so she's yeah, dealing with this. YA fantasy, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I know. Never would happen in real life. Um, and so one of the things they do is they read the stars to predict the future or see omens or whatever. And so Ro sees a an omen in the stars that nobody else has seen. And no one believes her that this is going to happen. And then all hell breaks loose and she's got to run around the galaxy trying to convince people that Ophiuchus is real and is trying to come back and destroy a bunch of stuff. And no one, no one ever believes her at all. Um, and so that's, that's kind of like the pared down version. Cause I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. Um, but there's lots of themes of unity and tribalism in this book. So it's really about like, not just doing stuff because this is the way we've always done it and mm -hmm. to question those things and to question the people in power if they really have the best your best interest at heart or if they're just interested in keeping the status quo and so it's a lot of that and a lot of political intrigue but you also have a lot of really great character stuff and like it taught there's a lot of um themes around the dangers of horizontal hostility which is the idea that the people on the mar there's way more people on the margins hmm. than there are people in the center and the horizontal hostility is the idea that people in the margins are fighting with each other rather than fighting with the people in the center who hold the most power so who has the yeah. most power in society and then extrapolating from there and yeah. so that's kind of what this series is about and basically this whole series just like rips my heart out and stomps on it multiple times gives me a little bit of hope <laughs> and it again <laughs> i cried so many times reading this series <laughs> i i, I that's, this is one i've never heard i've never heard of it and i'm so interested because and i did a whole reread and did like live reactions to it to get people to understand why this book is such a big deal and why it's underrated because it it feels very relevant for this time mm -hmm. i think it came out in like 2014-ish area um, and it just felt really relevant to I, I read this in like 2020 I think so imagine everything that's going on around me in the world and then reading this book about the powers that be not doing what they're supposed to do and not listening to everybody else that this thing is happening um <laughs> I'm having yeah you give me you're giving me flashbacks yeah, sorry um but yeah it's just it's definitely one of my favorite series and you get such great characters in this book and there's actually I usually hate love triangles I really hate them because they're not done <laughs> well usually and I don't like the who will she pick this guy, because, this guy because more often than not you don't care because there's clearly a winner and clearly a loser exactly. <laughs> you, no you don't know in this one it's another one of those love triangles that you're like I don't know what's gonna happen or you think you know and then the book's like just kidding there's a different thing and then it's like no no just kidding and you're just like I don't I don't I really don't know who she's gonna go with and it honestly doesn't matter as much as the rest of the stuff that's happening yeah and that's, and that's one of the 
themes in this is like, I am trying to save the galaxy right now. Can we not talk about this? Exactly. Like the, the love of arc doesn't have to be like the romance plot doesn't need to be like that big. It doesn't it's not a main point of a fantasy novel. The main point is the fantasy and the sci-fi and all that exactly. sort of thing. Um so I'm curious to you, what star sign are you? Do you find that your planet represents you in this yeah, book? So I'm a Sagittarius. Uh, and I, there's definitely a lot of the descriptions of the Sagittarian people that I'm like, yep, that's, that's definitely me. It's the straightforward, blunt, very curious, not afraid to ask you a million questions. Uh, and the whole don't hold me down mentality kind of, but I'm, I'm an introvert. So, uh, all of that, but introverted. And people always forget that introverted Sagittarians exist. Uh, so no, I don't want to go out and party and like do all this stuff. And no, I don't want to travel all over the place because I want to be home reading my books. <laughs> Having your fictional adventures in your exactly. mind. <laughs> go to bed at a reasonable time. Yeah, I I don't think kids appreciate um, the luxury of sleep until they're an adult and, and it is yeah. actually really a luxury like getting to go to bed at a normal time is like a treat it's a treat you give yourself yeah um yeah I always find so astrology I find interesting because I very much don't believe that horoscopes and astrology oh, have any bearing on people's lives but I know a lot of people who are very interested in astrology and horoscopes and that sort of thing my aunt is like really she just she she finds them interesting and I think I don't know necessarily that she maybe maybe she does believe in them but she always tells me about sort of how I'm very typical for my I'm an Aquarius mm -hmm. so she sort of is always telling me about how I'm quite typical of that and I mean whenever I know someone who sort of knows a little bit about astrology and they're sort of talking, listening to me talk about my family and the people I live with. They're just like, I'm just like, I live in a house full of Capricorns and it's like, they, they know everything they need to know because. Yeah. My, I, think I find it fascinating. I think it's interesting. And I think, you know, just like the personality types, you know, some of it's going to fit you and then some of it's not. And it's just a lot of yeah. picking and choosing, but it is interesting. And mostly I'm just here for the memes to be honest. Yeah, I think more than anything, if you're going to read sort of descriptions, when they talk about the sort of characterizations, I think if anything, it's a really good way of um, self-reflecting, I suppose, like reflecting on your own qualities and how you see yourself. Because if you can read a description of what you're supposed to be like as per your star sign, um, it probably will tell you more about what you think about yourself and how you see yourself. Also, how other people see you, if they feel that they represent you and you don't. Um, and I think it's maybe more of a just interesting tool from that, but um, I do find it quite interesting. Um, I d again, it's one of those things like, so my husband, my son, my dog, all, all Capricorns, some of my very close friends are all Capricorns as well. And I'm like, I don't know what it is about me who likes to have people in my life who were born around Christmas. Um, I just... <laughs> Um, uh, but yeah I think it's really fascinating I do actually kind of like reading books that are sort of based around it um Ashley V Robertson actually sent me a book Zodiac Star Force graphic novel which is sort of superheroes and graphic novel that based that they're all based on the star signs and stuff and it's kind of fun and it's very pink and yeah it's it's yeah. got cool animation and everything but um yeah, and I really really enjoy it like, still archetypes 
of people and it's a great way to start with characters in the story yeah. and then kind of fleshing them out through that yeah definitely you've got like a pre-existing character description and and ideas for how i think i think that's, that's a it's probably a really great way of sort of yeah a basis of of characters and that sort of thing i am um, so yeah, I do. I find it interesting to read about, even if I don't necessarily agree. And you're right, the memes are excellent. There was one that was going around. I think Austin adaptions, like the the on screen adaptions of Austin movies, uh, the characters in them, um, as all the different star signs. And I was just, I mean, that's like a convergence of like things that I love. So <laughs> I was just like, yeah, that sounds great. I'm gonna be that person that probably one of the only people that's gonna come on here and say I don't like Jane Austen. <laughs> So, oh okay. okay. I'm not going to well, read her, her books. I'm not going to watch those movies. I don't care. And I know that when my friend Nicole Bailey hears this, she's just going to be giggling to herself because she loves Jane Austen and knows how much I hate it. <laughs> I think you like Regency era novels, and or you don't like. There's it's it's really not a um, lukewarm kind of genre because. I just think it's like you say, you either care or you don't. Yeah. Um, I think I just don't care enough about the story. Like I got to have dragons or aliens or something else happening. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. If fantasy is your bag, then like, um, yeah, Jane Austen doesn't have enough going on. I, I'm such a mood reader and like my genre completely change the genres I read completely change based on the mood I'm in and what I'm feeling like and like it's I don't know why but sometimes something in, in me just calls for the the false tension of you know ridiculous British conventions to do with manners and when someone can stand up or talk to someone and the kind of nuances of um yeah society and expectations and classism and that's and, and then there's other times that I'm like no I want some dragons to blow some stuff up I want someone to <laughs> I want political intrigue on an intergalactic scale I want aliens like there are just I just yeah different different moods for different books and that sort of thing I think maybe that's the Sagittarian in me where I'm just like <laughs> I don't get it why wouldn't you just tell them that you like them I don't get it like What's with the eye twitch or like the lingering look? Like I don't get it. Just tell them. <laughs> Just say it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. I. Uh. Yeah. I definitely agree. I think it's. Yeah. It's just one of those things. It's just for some people and it's not for others. I mean, I have got authors that I know are just that are widely loved and they're just not for me. It's like I don't really plan on ever reading Charles Dickens ever again. And I know a lot of people absolutely love him and uh, John Steinbeck. Oh, no never again all set on the classics to be honest <laughs> yeah i i think i i enjoyed classics when i was um i kind of fell in love with certain classics when i was at school because of studying them and even though i do go back to them every now and then i if i do i think my i mean my absolute all-time favorite is like the count of monte cristo and that's because it's adventure and it's like mm-hmm. it's kind of like the princess bride it's you know high adventure and stakes and it's fun and i mean the count of monte cristo is like a thousand pages and it's like well it's 1200 pages and it's like worth every single page because like it's just the most long-winded revenge plot ever (laughs) just like but it's so elaborate and amazing and it just all comes together and it's just yeah it's great but it's one of the yeah it's the same thing i i think 
yeah, they're definitely my favourite. More ad- the adventure kind ones. But no, I, I am a bit of a sucker for Jane Austen. Except for Mansfield Park. Never Mansfield Park because it's awful. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> I mean, you yeah, <laughs> yeah, she she only wrote seven books. She was never going to have all perfect ones, was she? One of them had to be bad. <laughs> but yeah, so Zodiac um, Quartet series, you're really making my reading list quite long because I've been trying not to start any new series because I need to finish the ones I've got going. But um, that sounds... So, I mean, this... this Just going back to the, this original threat, I suppose... Is does the threat change over the four books, or is it pretty much the no, same? It's basically, it's pretty much the same. There is a bit of a twist in some of the other books where you're like, "Oh, maybe this isn't really the villain that we need to be focusing on," and so there's a bit of like smoke and mirror thing happening there, which is nice. And like I said, the twist in this series too. Like, I there's some stuff I just did not see happening at all, and then it hits you, and you're like, "Ah!" <laughs> That's always so impressive for like YA fantasy as well because I often find when I'm reading a YA fantasy I feel like I've read it all before Um, and you'll get to certain points where I mean I was reading uh, this is no shade to Elwyn Hamilton although kind of because I also do have questions about that that, those books but um, the um, Rebel of the Sands series I remember reading it and I was like I can enjoy it but I kind of got halfway through and I was like yeah but I know what's gonna happen I already know who she's gonna end up with I know basically the plot of the next two books because I was just like because that's just how YA fantasy trilogies that have some kind of monarchy that needs to be toppled that that's like the blueprint for how that Mm. story goes um so when a YA fantasy can actually take you by surprise it's it's more impressive than anything else because like yeah I don't mind knowing what the plot's gonna be like I don't don't get me wrong I'm the kind of person who can still read a book that's been completely spoiled for them and I'll still enjoy it I don't spoilers don't ruin it I predictability doesn't necessarily ruin it especially because I'm character driven so as long as I love the characters I'll read the same story over and over again if it's the yeah. characters I love um yeah, but... the, the world building in the in this series is so good because you go to multiple different worlds and they all are wildly different from each other and they all have their own technologies which are also wildly different from each other and but it all kind of matches the kind of stereotype of each zodiac sign. That sounds so cool. I always find it ridiculous that Aquarius is an air sign. Like I just it's got aqua in the name. I just I think someone messed something up there because it just the, the symbols the water the lady with the two jugs which is also the worst one as well i, I have <laughs> i'm not happy with my the symbolism in my star sign personally because i think everyone gets a cool animal and it's just a woman carrying jugs pouring jugs of water you could be virgo instead <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> maybe um but yeah it's just i just like so yeah i don't get why it's an air planet i just not air planet air star air sign but i suppose the planet in this story would be i mean i would hope it was earthy i'm assuming this book is very well researched i'm sure it will be yeah it really makes sense when you read it you're like oh yeah that makes sense for this place yeah that's okay that's that's what we like definitely yeah i just i don't know i really like it i really like the characterization and i like how it all comes together in the end that's good and there's the you know main points characters world 
makes sense in the end <laughs> basically <laughs> the it's just best... really fun. It's a, it's just, it's, it is a fun quartet even though it, it seems like it's a lot but it all it it's fun i think they're quick reads too so great and i yes yeah, space-based sci-fi i really um i think i definitely want to expand my sci-fi reading i've re- been reading more but i still think my fantasy definitely outweighs it and maybe some other genres as well so i've been wanting to try and go more into that because i always forget how much i enjoy reading sci-fi until i, I sort of pick up another sci-fi book yeah. and then i'm like oh my god i forgot how fun this was i've just finished um absinthe by brandon p bellacourt which is the first sci-fi i've read in a really long time and um it was so interesting and it was just so cool um and that's also kind of like alternative historical fiction as well threaded into it because it's set in like alternative 1920s chicago oh nice um and it's like so it's all like art deco roaring 20s but also modern technology and a bit fascinating yeah uh but either way so uh yeah i always forget how much i enjoy sci-fi um until i pick it back up again and I could indulge in a little bit more um, astrology, astrology-based fiction, because yeah, and like I said, fun. it's a nice blend of sci-fi and fantasy. So there's some, Ooh. there's a like, like I said, it's, there's a lot of like metaphysical stuff <laughs> that happens, so it's kind of weird. Yeah, why, why not have both sci-fi or fantasy, or just have both? Always good. So. Those are your five books. Do you want to quickly run through all five of your choices for the listener? And then we can talk about, you know, yes. any honorable mentions. Yes. So in no particular order, we had Ray Bearer by Jordan Ifueko, Um, And that one was about Tarasai and how she has to try to get on this council of 11, but also she's supposed to kill the prince. So that's not great. Um, the second one was Kindred by Octavia E. Butler, which was an adult sci-fi slash historical fiction about a woman who has to go, who comes from the 1970s and goes all the way back to antebellum, uh, South and has to save a white man in order for her to continue to exist. The next one was The Princess Bride by William Goldman, which I'm sure needs no summary. Um, and The Bone Witch by Rin Chupeco, which was a YA fantasy about a bone witch or a necromancer. And the last one was Zodiac by Romina Russell. And that one was sci-fi fantasy and was just all the Zodiac-like things that we were just talking about. Awesome. Really fun sci-fi fantasy. Just really fun list of books, I think. And definitely lots for people to sink their teeth into and try out. Um what were a few books that you wanted to have but you couldn't quite squeeze into your list that the one the books that these narrowly beat all right so my honorable mentions were kushiel's dart by jacqueline carey that's a long long book it's over a thousand pages but yeah. it's wonderful i felt like it was the soft version of like game of thrones almost uh and i also had um, Winter's Orbit by Everina Maxwell, which is a sci-fi, and that one was excellent. That's an adult book, and just the I've read that one. It's so good. Yeah, <laughs> I just politics like, in that one, space politics, yeah. space <laughs> politics. Um, and then I had also The Raven Boys by Maggie Stiefvater, which I also reread this year. 
The Raven Boys is very well loved on the podcast. Almost every one of the books in the series, except for one, has been picked. They've all been picked for different reasons. I always find it really interesting. I'm waiting for that last one to get picked, so <laughs> so all four of them can be listed. Yeah, but I think yeah. if I didn't pick The Raven Boys, my probably my favorite of the series would have been uh, The Dream Thieves. Yeah, I think The Dream Thieves has been picked. Is it Lily? Blue. blue lily lily blue blue lily lily blue and the raven king yeah and the, the yeah is there only three of them i'm missing one is it the dream no we did the dream thieves didn't we no yeah yeah uh either way three of either the four way. have been picked but yeah the raven boys is yeah very well loved and winter's orbit is yeah uh, a good one. I enjoyed that one when I read it. It's one of the few sort of Illumicrate books that I got and then I actually read it straight away. Um, but yeah, space, politics, and um, an arranged marriage, which is... Yeah, which yeah. I loved, actually. <laughs> yeah, me too. I actually was... I was so invested because I would, yeah, no, it's great. I actually definitely... I, I also second your recommendation on that one because it's just, just such a fun shining up in a blanket and keep him safe it's it's such a wholesome like relationship i actually really loved that in this sort of actually like not very nice kind of corrupt world i think it would have been so easy to reach for a relationship that had all of these like issues and even though they're obviously not it's not not got issues the issues aren't to do with the people it's to do with the circumstance and I really just it was just so wholesome they just treat each other so well and they're just so lovely and just kind and there's no ill will and I just I just loved it I was just like this is just such a wholesome relationship I love it (laughs) but yeah so those are some Kushiel's Dar actually I've heard of it used to be on my TBR and I remember I saw how long it was and it scared me and I was like no <laughs> it's very long but it's it's so good it's so well written the fantasies is not super in your face it's more oh, of like an adventure kind of thing almost and it's got like like a Mach- Machiavellian villainess in it which i'm here for yeah more female villains because i just i sorely lacking in that department more female villains that um not necessarily of the disney variety i think yeah again really random but tangled for instance i watched that recently and i was so impressed with it because um i find mother gothel just one of disney's best villains i think i think yeah yeah because she I find it so fascinating because she's not she's not a bad guy because of what she can do. It's not that she's magic or she's scary or anything that like that. It's it's entirely like em- emotional abuse and manipulation. Yeah. Like that's she's that's a her. And exactly, she is a narcissist. I love that too because you rarely ever see like complicated mother daughter stuff where the mother is emotionally abusive and Mm. it is accepted that the daughter will just not talk to her anymore um so i and you know that relates to me personally because my mother is also a narcissist and i no longer say we should start a club um yeah i but 
Yeah, well, but this is the thing. I actually found it really fascinating because um, I, yeah, complicated relationship with my mother, um, who is a narcissist along with um, several other of her own issues. And I find it so difficult because when people ask me about my family, especially since I've had a child myself, um, you get so many complicated, very intrusive questions about, um, you know, your involvement and that sort of thing. And I, I hate this whole, oh, but they're your family excuse as if you know blood and familial bonds is the uh cleanse that can you know wipe away any <laughs> any yeah. issues which is just not true yeah, and, and there's so much so toxic yeah and it's just there's so much like emotional guilt around it like there's something like yeah and i found it really fascinating thinking that someone on the team at tangled must have had they must have had a narcissistic parent because it's such a unique dynamic in a way that I hadn't realized was true because I it took me years and years before I even had the words to describe what my mother was and what she did um because they sort of were handed to me and just like oh you do realize that that, that she's this right and then it kind of explained everything so much better to sort of explain to me why it wasn't my fault it wasn't for lack of trying on my part it was it was something I couldn't change essentially which is yeah Yeah, which is me a while too because I actually I worked for a domestic violence project for about five years. So I was a domestic violence advocate and educator. And it took me working there for a year for me to realize that like, oh, this is (laughs) what has been happening to me my entire life. So yeah, definitely having the words for that and understanding the dynamics of power and control Mm -hmm. were definitely key to my healing through that. Yeah, exactly. And healing's the word. It's it, it's healing to have the words to describe what happened to you. And also, I hadn't realized quite how the interplay of parenthood and narcissism um, crossed over because I kind of knew it. And then I, through some research of my own, actually found that like there is a way that parenthood changes the um, sort of almost characteristics not necessarily changes um someone from being a narcissist but it it interacts with narcissism in a way that is just really unique to um having children i suppose and um that dynamic between you know a child and a narcissistic parent is kind of different to um you know a narcissist and someone and um someone in their life who's like not related to them in that way and I just find it so interesting that um, A, that yeah, words existed for it, but also B, that this was an experience that actually a lot of people shared because I always felt very alone in in it as an issue and it felt like not many people understood. So when I actually spoke to other people who had been through a similar thing, it was like, yes, this is, this is not good because no one wants anyone to have gone through that because right. it's, it's, it's not nice, but like... To, ha- to be seen and understood in that way is is great and I remember I watched I, I hadn't watched Tangled um because I wasn't up to date on my Disney and then I was told to watch it because someone I know really loves it and I remember watching it and I just found it just really haunting because I was like Rapunzel isn't trapped in the tower she can leave whenever she wants she's being trapped yeah. <laughs> by emotional abuse <laughs> and yeah. it was just yeah haunting and just that oh just the scene when she leaves and she's just all conf- it's just amazing it's and it's so well written I just yeah it's impressive so yeah more <laughs> more female villains but also well, more tangled. <laughs> <laughs> also the music's amazing oh my god just like uh I 
I don't think I'd even watched it. And we went to Disneyland for my honeymoon, which, yeah, because we're big kids. Basically, we're like, we're too, we're not grown up enough to be getting married. We'll get married and then we'll go to Disneyland to address the balance. Um, <laughs> so we went to Disney and we watched the fireworks display. And um, I see the light as part of the sort of big fireworks photo things to play and oh my god I cried I cried like a baby I was just there cradling my coffee sobbing <laughs> just in the thinking because they had sort of projected the scene up with the music and then there's all the other Disney music which has all of this other emotional like baggage around it honestly it was hands down one of the best nights <laughs> like ever <laughs> but yeah <laughs> emotional it is they call it the magic kingdom for a reason I didn't believe it till I saw it <laughs> Um, but yeah I mean a fitting way to finish the podcast with just like a really mad tangent that really took us uh, I mean I say it took us I took us around the houses with that one honestly I (laughs) when people tell me that I talk a lot and I talk about random stuff I'm like you don't know you don't live in my mind I say like 20% of what I think (laughs) (laughs) try living here um but yeah, Cheyenne, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been so much fun. And yeah, thanks for having good... me, Jordan. I really appreciate you reaching out to me. I so appreciate you giving me your time, honestly. It's been it's been so fun. It's been such an interesting discussion. So many great books. And yeah, it's been awesome. Um, if listeners wanted to check you out and check out more of your recommendations, uh, where might they find you? So people can find me on Instagram at queer underscore bookworm and be be very clear uh bookworm is spelled with a y not an o because fantasy yes exactly it's the dragon-esque spelling of worm it's the i think when you call anyone a bookworm that's how it should be spelled you have the correct spelling because yes yes. (laughs) it's worm like the dragon not worm like the invertebrates (laughs) (laughs) yeah feel free to follow me um and give me more book recommendations because clearly i don't have enough to read (laughs) No, no one does. No one does. I will definitely add all of your sort of um, accounts and that sort of thing in the uh, podcast description if anyone, uh, any listeners want to go and check them out. And yeah, you can follow the podcast on at Books to Last Pod on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook because they made me have Facebook, but I don't use it. But you can follow it if you wish. Uh, We're also available on YouTube and anywhere that they have podcasts. If there's anywhere that they have podcasts and we aren't on there, feel free to let me know and I'll try and get the podcast on there but yes uh for now um that's it but thank you so much for listening Cheyenne thank you so much for being on it's been so much fun and and until next time bye for now